The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And welcome to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We are always available via podcast. And I am your guest host, Marie Stone, in for Kimberly Martin this week, who is dropping her son off in college. Good luck. Good luck, Cloyce. I am doing what she does each and every Thursday afternoon, which is talk with Orange County's best and brightest men and women who are serving their community in a meaningful capacity. Today, we're turning to a favorite topic of mine, which should be a favorite topic of everyone's. It's uh, vitally important to all of us. That is your health, your body, your fitness, wellness. Um, Maybe we'll sneak in a little bit of nutrition. We're going to also sneak in a little bit of um, mental fitness and uh, maybe spiritual fitness. In the, along the sidelines. And I like talking about it this time of year because um, when summer winds down, I think, and, you know, kids go back to school and fall is upon us, I think there's an inclination to let things slide a little bit. And, you know, maybe you're not as concerned with how you look in a bikini, uh, sweater weather is coming, whatever the excuses are that you tell yourself that, um, you know, things can take a backseat for a little while. Um, it's a good time to sort of reassess and look at the reasons health is important beyond, you know, how you look in a bathing suit. So to that end, I'm here with Bobby Lee. He is a nationally published fitness expert and a former fitness editor at Men's Fitness Magazine. He's a member of the National Academy of Sports Medicine as a personal trainer, youth fitness specialist, senior fitness specialist, and golf fitness specialist. He's a member of the Titleist Performance Institute as a golf fitness professional and has over 35 years of experience studying and teaching various martial arts disciplines. Um, I met him, I don't know, seven or eight years ago um, at a a gym in... um, Laguna Beach, where he trains. And um, not only do I enjoy the way he approaches fitness and um, nutrition and exercise, but the way he sort of approaches the the mental strength and philosophy behind working out exercise, fitness, and martial arts. So over the years, I've been talking to him a little bit about that psychology behind um, the mind behind the body, so to speak. And uh, so I wanted to bring him on to talk about that. So regardless of where you are in life, if you're an athlete, um, if you're aging, if you have a body, (laughs) if you've experienced injuries, all that stuff, um, he's got a lot of perspective. So Bobby, welcome. It's great to be here. So good to so good to have you on. I wanted to do this for years, so this is this is really good. Yeah. Um, so I introduced you, but perhaps you can talk a little bit more about your how you got into fitness and um, you know how you got into the martial arts, when that started, and and what sustained your interest for thirty five years. Well, the martial arts is what led me to fitness. Basically, I started training in martial arts when I was around fourteen years old uh, in a studio environment. And that all came about because of the big Bruce Lee craze when I was a child. Uh, He was kind of a 
icon for a lot of people growing up. But I think in that era, and even now, uh, I think he still holds a lot of sway in terms of uh, physicality. So that's what led me to actually start training because I was always a pretty small person, light. I'm, you know, I'm not short. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm not physically very large in terms of body weight. So I knew to get better at martial arts, I had to get stronger because you can only be so powerful at a certain point without getting a lot stronger. So that led me to start working out when I was maybe 16 years old, and it's pretty much been a focal point in my life for the last 38, 39 years. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Doing the math quickly. Were you um, harassed or anything as a kid, or this was just t- you just took this upon yourself to say I'm... You know, I was never bullied as a child, actually. Um, went to a very diverse school back outside of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. So it was pretty diverse. We had a lot of families who worked for the government, the military, and... So there were a lot of different backgrounds, but I was never picked on as a child. Um, the sad part about that is that I think I actually did my fair amount of bullying as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, easy to look back on that now and go, well, I was just a kid, but it's also easy to look back and go, you know what, that's, that was just a horrible thing to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're young, you shouldn't do it <laughs> because you don't realize the repercussions of things you've done 30 years ago. So. But um, don't bully kids. That's yeah, <laughs> no, it's it, it's a serious thing. But you know, so that whole martial arts thing, uh, I enjoyed fighting uh, when I was younger, and um, training was a way. Martial arts training was a way for me to fight more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a kind of a semi bad way to pursue something that eventually became a very positive experience. You know, it was for negative reasons, basically. Um, I wanted to learn to fight more efficiently. Um, I was a big Bruce Lee fan. Yeah. And you saw him in the movies, and you just thought, you know, just the uh, elegant violence, hmm. you know. Yeah. So it was a bad reason to start, but like I said, it turned out well, I think. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so martial arts is a big umbrella. Um, what mm-hmm. sort of martial arts did you get? Were you cross- practicing across the board? or were you-, you know, I first started with Taekwondo, which was the prevalent art um, back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of Taekwondo studios in the Washington, D.C. area. So I started with that, and uh, eventually... Got my black belt in that rather quickly, and um, I decided to move on to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, began to explore a lot more. Um, did a lot of Chinese kung fu. Mm-hmm. Did Junfian kickboxing, Filipino kali, Thai boxing, Japanese shidoru, shotokan. Did some shoot fighting, Filipino boxing. So I even heard of French these. savat. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so there were, you know, and when I say I pursued these things, um, it wasn't, it doesn't mean I spent five years of my life pursuing Thai boxing or Filipino uh, stick fighting or Filipino knife fighting. What it is with martial arts is that when you become proficient at a f- certain style, you have what they call root movement. Because biomechanically, there are only so many ways you can throw a kick or a punch. All the rest of it is just maybe stylistic differences. So if I can throw a punch, 
that I learned in Taekwondo, I just need to adjust it a little to make it a Thai boxing punch or to make it an American boxing punch. But the way to generate power and the way the body moves, it doesn't change much from style to style. Mm -hmm. So once you get root movement, you can go to different systems and learn rather quickly because you already understand angles of force or footwork to get you in the best position. So when I say I studied, yeah, I maybe spent a couple of years doing this or that, but it was at it was at a level that I moved at quickly because I understood how to throw a punch already and how to throw a kick, and I understood how to move my hands with or without a knife, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, and alongside that training, are you also getting mental training? Uh, alongside the physical stuff, are you also getting kind of this, you know, spiritual, psychological, everything else that I associate with martial arts as well? The wax on, wax off. <laughs> no, it's you know what that depends on. That depends on the person. Uh, for me personally, it became much more of a uh, spiritual issue mm-hmm. uh, and a cultural issue. It was a way for me to explore my uh, Asian heritage more, mm-hmm. and you know, learn more about it than just what I was taught at school or saw on TV. It was something something to hang my hat on, yeah. you know. That your parents weren't giving you. Well, yeah, because my parents never talked to me much about about where we came from, mm-hmm. you know, because we came here, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, right. you know, they're trying to move us forward right. into America, you know. But uh, in terms of spirituality, you can learn the art on three different levels. You can learn it physically, you can learn it spiritually, and you can learn it mentally. And the physical part is easy, I've told people that I've taught that if you want to learn to throw a kick or punch, that's so easy, you know, because sooner or later your body's going to do it because the body's incredible, you know. It will pick up movement if you put in enough time and work. You know, the mental part is a little harder because you're asking somebody to function on maybe two dimensions that they might not be used to, mm-hmm. you know. And that's a little harder work, but if you want to get into the spiritual side, that's where the hard work, I think, really begins when it comes to martial arts. It's a deep look inward and uh, I think it's hard for a lot of people to look inside themselves and put aside any ego and false notions about just things. You know, and, it, and once you get to that part, I think it goes beyond just throwing a kick or a punch. It goes beyond how you want to treat people, how you want to maybe make things better or more peaceful for people around you or have a little empathy and a compassion for uh, everyone else that's around us. It's yeah. interesting because um, as I'm thinking about how you would train somebody for we're off topic of health and fitness here, but this is such an interesting <laughs> psychological conversation of how you train somebody for war. And, and, you know, when you go into the military and you, you know, the I think the human spirit is so preconditioned to not hurt you know, we're, we're so conditioned to not hurt somebody. And so making that step into violence is, is a psychological leap that a lot of people aren't prepared for. So the way they do that in war is to break you down and make you see the enemy as inhuman or other, you know, right. dehumanize. But the sure. martial arts seems like the opposite, that you you have respect somehow for the other person to step into violence with this awareness of peacefulness it's- or something. It's this idea that you're having this relationship with someone when you're in a competition with them, and 
it's hard to imagine it being a relationship because a lot of people have relationships as being, well, it's positive, it's this or that. But when you're in a confrontation or you're in a fight, um, you're in a nonverbal relationship with someone, and it's all physical. It's a physical interaction. There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. And um, mm. that's the hardest thing to teach people is that it's not so much that you're against someone, that you're that you have to move w- with somebody mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's dance with an end to it you know it's a duet and um hmm. i think it's hard for people to see that because there's so much maybe malice or ill intention going on but if i think at the end of it from a spiritual perspective it is just this really intense physical interaction with somebody and there's a termination point you know, but right. it's not what you're worried about. You know, it's a very in-the-moment type of deal. I think you can learn a lot from that and apply it to your regular life and how you deal with people. And not in a violent way, but just in a you-have-my-full-attention way, whether it's a conversation like you and I are having right now. You you, you have my full attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things martial arts has taught me is that if I'm with someone, they are going to have my full attention as best as I can do it at that given time. Mm-hmm. So and it's hard mm-hmm. to do with all the distractions we have nowadays. Right, seriously. So, right. but I think we're all kind of <laughs> right. meandering and making off topic. that and, and making that leap from violence, like in the gym where it's a practice versus, because you've told me that you've really had to put these things to use in, I uh, have. in, the, in the real world. I have fought before. Sure, sure. I've had to, you know, there have been situations where, I've been confronted where I have where I've thrown the first punch because all my training has told me that if he's within three feet of me, the fight's already started. So, mm-hmm. I've, yeah, I've <laughs> I've applied what I've learned. Um, but the other part of that is that I'll almost never apply anything that I've learned if I'm still angry. Hmm. It's think i've told my wife this is that if we're ever in a conversation don't worry about me if i'm still angry because i'm not going to do anything it's if i calm down and i don't leave that <laughs> something's going to happen because i've because i've fully digested what's going on and I, it's hard to explain that's interesting that's interesting well it seems like so, in the real world you wouldn't even have the time for that mental calculation to happen because you're in it right and it's fight or flight and you wouldn't even have time to decide if you're angry or not. You're, you've just got to react. But. Yeah. It's interesting about the fight or flight thing is I think with the training and the just immersion and being really attuned to what you can do and the situation is that I've always felt time kind of slows down. Mm-hmm. And that's when I get that feeling of calm. If I'm in a situation and I calm down, then I feel like things are very slow. And that's when things become very clear. And if I can't leave, then I won't leave. I have to protect someone. I will. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I just love that all of this translates to the rest of your life, you know, that it's it's just the lens through which you see all of your relationships, the, through which you view, you know, your marriage, your friend, you know, your My friendships with your know, clients. I try. Yeah. You know, it's because it is a lens through which I see everything. It's It was the discipline that guided me for over 30 years. It's my... Uh, it's my vantage point. It's my still point to see the world. 
when things get kind of out of control and I can always step back and go, you know, this is the one truth I have because I've pursued it long enough. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but it's my truth. So I can actually sit back and go, okay, I honestly believe this is what I believe and this is how I want to treat people and going forth. So whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but I think it helps to have a still point to see to see the world from, and I think that would help a lot of people because I think a lot of people who I've met or taught are just kind of being tossed around by emotions or situations. And I think if they had a point of strength or a point of certainty about themselves, they could say, you know what, this is wrong. I can't stand for this, so I'm going to leave and get on with my life. Right. So. Especially in the last two years. Yeah. I, I won't turn this to politics, but certainly no, in the last couple of years, not. we better not. <laughs> <laughs> but we could all use a still point, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think we do all need a still point, and uh, I think that's important. I think it's lost. I think that's why there's almost this, this resurgence and uh, searches for spirituality and maybe mm-hmm. meaning because mm-hmm. you know time is so compressed now. There's no downtime. Right. So we're all kind of tossed around these days and by the end of this i'll be a full buddhist <laughs> at the end of the hour <laughs> i didn't know buddhist is what you call it you know <laughs> i mean i've looked into zen i've looked into hinduism uh, i've looked into christianity you know and i think you know, i've had discussions with people who are christians born-again christians uh buddhists and at the end of the day, you know, I think the message from all the major religions and spirituality is that it's all about love. And you know, I think that's the most important thing. If you can see, you know, life and things through a certain lens of, I mean, love is going to sound hokey, but maybe it's not, you know, yeah. I, you know, maybe it's hokey to equate love with the martial arts. But, you know, that was that was one of my passions. You know, it still is one of my passions, and I forget who said it. I don't know if it was Alvin Ailey or one of the choreographers said, "Without compassion, you know, without passion, you can't know. You can't have compassion." Hmm. So, and I think that maybe that's what's missing from a lot of people. They don't have a passion for anything, so they have no empathy or compassion for each other. Mm-hmm. And, and you learn to really care when you have a passion for something, and then that can tr- translate to to other people, to caring about people. And I think that's important. So, is there a, spir- a particular spirituality that underlines the martial arts? Like as you're as you're studying that, is there a, like is there a Buddhist underlying or a Hindu underlying? You know, the big thing that had a big the thing that had a big influence on me training is the is Zen. Is this idea of um, idea of stillness? This idea of um, it's, it's it's not a detachment, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of take this wrong idea about Zen is to be detached, but it's not to be detached. At least it isn't for me. It's to be, it's become so immersed in something that there's no this or that. It's just, you're a part of this thing. There's, there's, there's only this here and now that you're dealing with. And that's, and that's the beauty of Zen and that's the beauty of martial arts. And, you know, Zen first really came to the martial arts I believe with the Japanese and the idea of fighting with swords because that is a life or death situation. So they had to train their minds to be not afraid. <laughs> when you're, and present. Yeah, present. And you're dealing with a four-foot razor blade, 
you know, you can't be afraid and you can't be distracted, but um, you've got to be immersed, but you've got to be somewhat detached from this physical idea of what's going on. Yeah. So it's it's a paradox, and I think that's the hard thing about studying Zen is because it is a paradox. But That's what I love about the gym in general <clears throat> is um, the necessity to turn off everything else you can't you can't be thinking about the rest of your life when you're doing something physically exert you know it it takes up the the whole of your brain for a little while and it's such a mental vacation when you're physically engaged you know the gym should take up your uh, total focus because you're there to do something i mean you're there to maximize your time you're there to learn how how your body moves you know how it should move biomechanically um and if you get distracted, it's easy for your body to cheat itself because the body wants to do everything as lazily as possible. If you get up from your chair right now, chances are you're going to fall forward. You're going to fall upward as opposed to stand straight up because you've been used to doing it that way. It requires zero. It requires a lot less energy to fall upward when you're out of your, when you're in your chair, uh, getting up in this to stand up. Hmm. And I'd say about 90% of the people I've trained, when I ask them just to get up, they will fall forward and then upward as opposed to using any sort of strength. Interesting. <laughs> so it is interesting, but the human body is lazy. And if you're not, Especially mine, yeah. <laughs> not you. So if you're not diligent at the gym when you're working out, it will find a way to cheat. Yeah. And that's, the, that's just the human body. It's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing organic machine. <laughs> So tell me this uh, journey from from uh, the martial arts to fitness. Like, what got you more interested in in training? And I mean, maybe not more interested, but you, you seemed like you shifted your focus to. You know, in terms of, you know, when I moved to California, I came out here with this idea that I would, I would, I would learn a lot more in terms of martial arts that. I didn't move 3,000 miles to to be the same person I was. Hmm. But, you know, I came out here, I went to, found some great teachers, trained in some great schools, and met some great people. But at the end of the day, I was who I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and all the time, you know, I was still at the gym working out because the gym is a big part of my life. And you know, it's one of the first things I did when I moved out here. I found a martial arts school and I found the gym mm. <laughs> so those took up my life but um, you know, I think fitness became bigger because the job I got in writing was in fitness gotcha. so it became a bigger part of my life although martial arts was what got me the job <laughs> that's interesting that's funny <laughs> you know because they were looking for someone with a background in martial arts so you moved out here fitness. to be a writer I moved out here with a uh, with a magazine that dealt with eastern health and fitness Okay. Yeah, I was an assistant editor, but I didn't move out here per se to be a writer. I came out here because um, I had already moved my stuff out here. <laughs> it had already gone okay. in the truck, so I came out to retrieve it, actually, with a buddy of mine and um, talked me into staying, and I stayed, and then things fell into place. I wound up at Men's Fitness for seven years, I think, wow. and then moved to Laguna Beach when they sold the company. So, but, I never uh, knew this story. I've <laughs> known you for so long. I didn't know any of this. I didn't even know you were on the East Coast. This is good. Okay. So, but the idea of fitness and training, 
like I said, that's always been a huge part of my uh, life, and it always will be. Uh, I think it's so important for people to be physically active. Uh, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about what is enough for people in terms of training. Um, you know a lot of people who just walk, and I don't think that's good enough. And so the 10,000-step rule is not... Uh, you know, it's great for your heart, and that's fantastic, but it does nothing in terms of addressing your loss of strength, your loss of muscle mass, and your loss of bone density mm-hmm. as we age. And basically, after the age of 25, it mm-hmm. um, starts to go downhill. 25? Yeah, yeah. That's when the human body actually... 25 is probably the break-even point where you stop creating new cells as fast as the old cells die off. Good Lord. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So depressing. I actually looked that up before this, <laughs> and I was very depressed. <laughs> That's very depressing, yeah. So I thought it was 50, but it's No, 25. it's okay. 25 is when your body begins to, your cells deplete faster than uh, your body's your body replenishes them. Wow. Okay. So that's the tipping point, 25. So if you're under 25, you should you should start working out hard now. <laughs> I was going to say, so so if you are under 25, which a lot of people listening perhaps are because they're in college still, um, can you kind of gain the system a little bit on, like if you build your muscle mass now or your bone density now or whatever else there is to be gained on the, uh, you know, in this lovely time period before you turn 25, um, it will help you later? Or can you retrieve it after 25? No, after a certain, well, you're always going to be able to get stronger. Um, but if you start when you're younger, you will build up more of a reserve to deal with the aging process. And the way I've explained it to people is if you look at muscle or strength, and you know bone density. Um, if you if you equate it to money, and everyone's gotten advice when they're twenty five, you start saving for retirement. Of course, you're twenty five, and you don't think you're you know you have plenty of time. Working out is the same thing. You need to build up enough physical capital so you can have a um, so your quality of life when you're sixty or seventy when you retire that you'll be able to do what you want to do mm-hmm. physically and you know financially. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it that way, then, yeah, you should be working out now because you want to bank as much strength as you can now because at some point in your life, no matter how diligent you are when it comes to training, there's going to become a – you'll have a break, whether mm-hmm. it's a child or an injury or travel or work overwhelms you. You're going to take a break. But if you have enough capital built up when you have – when now when you have time to do it, you'll be able to weather that a lot better. It's like having enough – savings to weather a period of unemployment okay so it's the same thing it's just physical capital okay you know as opposed to money okay so if walking isn't enough what should you be doing let's say you're let's say you're in that golden era of under 25 what should what should that look like you should be lifting weights as much as possible uh but you should be doing it safely i mean you're 25 you could probably lift a lot of weight with just a muscular strength you know but the issue is your joint integrity because there are plenty of people who, when they were 25, I have friends who lifted tremendous amounts of weights when they were that age, power lifted, did all this and that. And by the age of 50, you know, two of them have already had hip replacements. Ooh. So, oh, okay. you know, and that was a matter of just not preparing their bodies for the weight that their muscles could handle. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, when you're young, you might not feel it, but 
it will catch up with you. And I'm going to hazard a guess as to why there are so many shoulder surgeries and knee surgeries and hip surgeries is that, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff when we were younger and it's catching up with us because either our training was wrong or we didn't realize it back then, of course, because it's 25 years ago. But, you know, we have history to look back on and where we're at now and go, all the stuff we were doing then was kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if you're 25, if you're under 30, if you're under 35, you should start weight training. It's the best investment you you can make. So they were lifting too much or they were lifting incorrectly or they were lifting without stretching? Like what? what's the common thing it's they're common, doing wrong? I think it's a combination of everything because, you know, 25 years ago when – when gyms became really popular, you know, when you had, it was, it, no one knew the long, the long-term effects of certain types of training like Mm -hmm. we do now. Mm -hmm. The idea that you want a full range of motion when you do a bench press or an overhead press. Well, we know now that like, that's not a good idea because you can't subject a joint to 300 pounds of pressure because after a certain range of motion, it's not on the muscle, it's on the joint. And you know, tendons and ligaments aren't really designed to hold that much weight. Mm-hmm. So now, 25 years later, well, I have a bad shoulder. It's because you lifted 300 pounds when you were younger and you touch your chest with the bar. And it's just not a good idea. <laughs> so they're not even doing something today that sets it off. Or they'll do something minor today that sets it off, but it's all that accumulation of stuff yeah, they used to do. It's accumulation yeah. of just um, wear and tear. And it's also a... Um, It shows you how amazing the human body is that it can absorb that kind of damage and you won't feel it for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing because the damage you've done is done when it's done. <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't catch up with you for 20, 25 years. So the human body is really amazing at dealing with stress and handling um, adversity and small injuries. But sooner or later, it it all catches up with you. So that's why it's important to do everything correctly, form-wise, posture-wise. and Right. And not lift too much weight. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you can lift a lot of weight safely, you should lift a lot of weight safely. Okay. You know, I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who told me they were too strong. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe that day will come, but... Uh, I've never. No time soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know. So if you're in the regrettable category of uh, where perhaps we might be that is, is not 25. Um, so, I mean, the funny thing is I didn't start. I never set foot in a gym until I was 41. I it did zero athletics. So as you're saying all of this, I'm like, oh, no. The yeah. only thing I have going for me is I didn't overlift when <laughs> I was a kid. But because uh, I didn't lift anything except, you know, a Big Mac. But, <laughs> but um so if you're starting, if you're getting a late start, let's say you're you're in the 40s or or uh, early 50s, what what should be the goal? Same thing. The goal should still be getting still strong. Be the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Now there, you have to take things into account if you've had any you know injuries or um, maybe issues, maybe partial issues. Because by the time we're 50, and you know, if you've worked in an office or you know, chances are you'll have... You own an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a postural distortion of some sort. I don't think I've ever met anyone who has had perfect posture, you know, outside of maybe some people in the dance field. But, you know, generally, if you have an office job, it's it's really wreaks havoc with your body. 
You know, humans are designed or weren't designed to sit eight hours a day or four hours a day. Definitely weren't designed to look at a look at a screen because eventually your neck, your head starts moving forward and you don't even know it. And you, you, when your head gets out of position, everything else your body does has to compensate for this 12-pound weight that's not centered anymore. So mm-hmm. it becomes problematic. But if you're 50, it's or 40 even, it is never too late to start training. Um, you can you you can get stronger. Um, will you know? Will you be as strong as you could have been if you started when you were 25? Probably not. But that doesn't mean you you you. That doesn't give mean, up. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean you still can't get really strong. Yeah. Because I can okay. tell you, Marie is really strong. <laughs> so um, it's just Better a matter than I of. Was, that's true. <laughs> you know, it's a no. You're just really strong. <laughs> it's a matter of how much you want to put into it, and but that's the beauty of the gym is that you put in, you get out of it what you are willing to put into it. There are no shortcuts. Um, it's an honest assessment of of your effort, right. and you know. There aren't that many things in life that will give you an honest assessment. Well, that's true, right? <laughs> so, certainly not Facebook. So you're um, you're recommending. I mean, obviously, you still have to have cardio in there for, of course, whatever. Yes, so for heart health. Yeah, cardio. yeah. Okay. I've yeah. I think cardio is as important uh, as the uh, as the uh, weight training. But do you have sort of guidelines for how many? I don't know. I know you're making a face. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> no, for, for what? For what? Well, I was just going to say, like, number of minutes a week that people should be putting towards cardio versus putting towards rate training versus, you know, like, should you be at the gym sort of five-ish days a week doing something or other? If you have time five days a week, that's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, ideally, if you lift it three days a week and did cardio two days a week and then, you know, being in California, especially Southern California... We have no excuse not to do cardio. You don't have to go to the gym to do cardio. Right. You know, I mean, we live at a beach town. I mean, it drives me crazy when I see clients on the treadmill. I'm like, the beach is literally two blocks across PCH. You should be walking on the boardwalk. I was going to say, it's hard to run in sand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's just much more enjoyable. So, but should you be doing cardio? Yeah. I mean, and it's going to differ for each person on, you know, what your goals are. If if your goal is weight loss, then yeah, you'll probably have to do a little more cardio. You know, if your goal is just keep your heart, heart healthy, then you know, find out find out what your max heart rate is, and you know, work to a percentage of that for for the goal you're trying to reach. And you know, do it two or three times a week, and weight train two or three times a week at least half an hour to forty five minutes a session. Um, there's a lot of there have been a lot of things published. I think even the New York Times that says you know a six minute workout is good. A six-minute workout is not good. It's better than absolutely nothing, but six minutes is not a lot of time to get something done at the gym. Right. You know, to actually build muscle. Uh, you, I mean... There are no shortcuts. Yeah. As you, as you are fond of saying. Yeah, there are no I shortcuts. mean, if yeah. a researcher says, yeah, we've done research and you can... A six-minute workout is as effective as a 15-minute workout. You know, there's a difference between what they do in the lab and the in the uh, real world and you know I just don't think it's possible you'd have to go at such an 
an intensity level. You'd have to be almost an elite athlete to work yourself hard enough in six minutes. Right. Yeah, and right. if you're an elite, if you're an elite athlete already, yeah, <laughs> then you're used to you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is Bobby Lee. We are talking fitness. We're talking martial arts. Talking. We might talk nutrition. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, but you are listening to Real People of Orange County on KUCI eighty-eight point nine FM in Irvine. Um, and as I always like to say, you can't out you, you can't um, out exercise weight loss. Like the, you really have to be mindful of your. Speaking of nutrition, you really have to be mindful of your calorie intake. And you if if you're trying to lose weight, you can't out exercise a bad diet. It's impossible. Um, if let's say we uh, measure your body fat and your activity level, and we find out that your basic caloric requirement for each day is. 2,500 calories to maintain the weight you're at, you know, and we do it with a measurement. We find out what your activities are, but you're eating 3,000 calories a day. It is impossible for you to lose weight. You will not out-exercise. You could go to the gym three hours a day, and you might break even. Wow. It takes a lot to wow. burn a calorie. It doesn't take much to eat Consume a calorie, a calorie right. you know. Right. I mean, right. you could probably get 2,500 calories a day and I don't know, three candy bars maybe. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so to burn 500 calories a day if you're overeating, I don't think you could do that in one, in, you know, one uh, training session. Right. Um, you'd, have to, you'd have to spend half the day exercising, like triathlon level, yeah. to actually burn calories that you overeat. If it's, and then if you take those uh, compounded that you're eating, even if it's, 100 calories, if it's 100 calories a day more, and that's every day. You know, after 30 days, you're at 3,000 calories. No, yeah, you're at yeah. 3,000 calories, and we think that's a pound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, if I remember correctly. So yeah. at the end of a month, you're at four pounds in a year. You're at 48 pounds of weight. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Jeez, man. Yeah, that's right, why a calorie, right. that's why every calorie counts when you're trying to lose weight. Right. You right, know, right. and, you know, I've had clients want to try different types of training they want to try high intensity uh, interval training and I explained to them it's like until you get your diet uh, under control we can't exercise hard enough yeah. I mean I can work you till you throw up till you pass out but at the end of the day you're still eating too much and you won't lose any weight Right. And what do you think of the HIT training the high intensity interval training uh, separate and apart from not maybe it's not a weight loss regimen but is it more effective than running on a treadmill for 30 minutes um, Heart-wise, cardiovascular-wise? Cardiovascular-wise, I believe it's an anaerobic form of training. So it's a spike in the heart rate It's as opposed to steady state on a treadmill, unless you're running intervals on a treadmill. And that's kind of the same goal as you spike your heart rate up, and then you kind of bring it back down, spike it up, bring it back down. So in terms of variety, I think it's more enjoyable than running on a treadmill. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It works. I think everything works. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to lose weight, it's about what you eat. It's not about what you do. You don't have to lose weight. You don't have to come into the gym to train to lose weight. And I tell clients that when they, if they tell me the first thing is to lose weight, first thing I tell them is, you don't, you, you don't need me to lose weight. Yeah. You need to look at what you're eating. Yeah. You know, you need me to help you get stronger or maybe to hold you accountable for certain things or, you know, help you train safely. Yeah. But losing weight, that's, uh, unfortunately, that's a very, it's a hard road to lose weight, but it's, it's a, you know. A friend of mine has been using the Noom app and um, 
there was a ton of resistance at the very beginning that that they had to overcome to to even start you know they'd gotten to a place where they were wild they were out of out of they were no no longer fit they were way overweight and they were just way out of shape and so that resistance you know just became this self-fulfilling i feel awful so i'm going to eat more cycle that happens to everybody at that in that situation and so to break that to to find a way to to push through the resistance and to you know find find a place to start this new map helped because it set these incredibly modest ridiculous tiny goals and if you could meet that you know one day then you know the goal sort of bumped up but then it would go back down the next day like it was some sort of behavioral modification thing but I don't know if you work with clients who are just fighting through a massive amount of resistance of just I don't want to come in they're canceling appointments like are are there mental things that you tell them to you know with uh, clients I'm lucky enough to have a really good relationship with all of my clients. I I care about my clients as people. Uh, I think we have a really good rapport. So I like to believe that when we train, that they actually enjoy being there mm-hmm. because I enjoy working with them. Uh, it's it's a it's a two way street, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but. In terms of people who have a hard time getting into the gym, I mean, someone, if if you have a trainer and he lets you get away with, he or she lets you get away with not coming into the gym, not holding you accountable, he's kind of failed you because you're hiring him because you maybe don't have the expertise or the comfort level to go to a gym uh, yourself or you don't have the motivation so if you have a trainer and it's not enjoyable and you don't think you're getting anything out of it, then maybe you need a new trainer because I think a trainer should motivate you to come into the gym that you should, even on days you don't, you're going to come in and say, you know what, at the very least, it's not going to be an unpleasant experience. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not going to be hateful it's because, be <laughs> because, you know, we'll have a good conversation, you know, be, because there are days, regardless of how disciplined you are, that it's going to be tough to get to the gym to work out. I mean, even when I was a gym rat, there were days I didn't want to go. But what what you know got me there was that I had friends there. So even though I just went to work out a little and talk to my friends, you know what, that day, that was enough. Yeah. I still got there and I did the work and... Not my best work, but still, some days it's just about doing the work, and then some days it's about making advances. And, um, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, uh, you know, with that app at times. You know, it kind of gives you small goals, and it kind of, you know, you can bump it down a little. And then, you know, when you're feeling good, you know, we'll make hay when the sun shines. And, you know, and that's the good thing about having a really good trainer or someone that cares about your progress is that, you know, he's going to tailor things to your to your uh, mental discipline and to your feelings that you know that day because it's you know your trainer is not just about give me eight reps or you know 30 push-ups it's about well you know a person's kind of down today let's do something that's gonna that they can do and maybe we'll bring them up a little right you know and they'll feel better about themselves when they leave here today because you know it's a very personal relationship and it should be you know, and you guys are as much therapists as you are trainers. I mean, and I'm, I mean that completely 
truly. <clears throat> it's not a facetious. I mean, you really do have to be in tune with people psychologically and kind of where they are in life and, you know, kind of read what their <laughs> what their mental state is as much as their physical state. Well, you do. I mean, it's a very, it's a very, uh, uh, for me, it's a very personal relationship with uh, clients because whether, you know, you spend 30 minutes a session, 60 minutes a session, three times a week, so you see them three hours a week, you know, and that's just you and them. It's probably the most time they spend with anyone on a one-on-one basis. You Including know. their spouse or yes. kids, probably. Yeah. Three hours a week, that's basically uninterrupted. Right. So if you don't have the capacity to care about your client at that point or, you know, maybe some people just don't get along. And, you know, I've had that happen where I've, where I've decided in the best interest of my client, I'm going to find you someone else because for whatever reason. Right. You know, and it's not good or bad. There's just some people, you know, that yeah. you just don't get along with. Right. You know, and that's just even though you want to, it's you don't want to wish them ill, but it's hard to uh, make the investment of uh, energy and self into someone that you don't get along with to try to get the best out of them or the best for them when they're with you for a training session, you know. Right. So, I mean, my advice to people who when you're when you're not motivated to get into the gym and you're by yourself, go in and do something. Yeah. I mean, even if it's something's better than nothing and it keeps you in the rhythm of going. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes that's the most important thing. You, yeah. You can go in and mail it in, but if you say you're going to go to the gym three days a week, go to the gym three days a week. Yeah. If you want to go on the treadmill and just watch TV even, it's better than... It's better than nothing. It, it, you know, it's better than breaking the rhythm of your three days a week. Right. So. Right, right. <laughs> um, we're running out of time, if you can believe it. But in the, in the last little bit, um, I'd also like to talk about people who are already, you know, into athletic, they have a program. They're they're pretty, you know, they're regularly at the gym. They're got their regimen. There always seems like there are fads and um, um, myths that later are either disproved or you know where you know if, whether it's hormone supplements. You know, I I got into something where you know it was how to make the perfect protein shake. You got to you know be taking this many amino acids and you got this kind of protein or are there things now that you that you see are misconceptions amongst athletes that they should be aware of and and um well the idea of uh hgh which has you know probably in the last five or ten years become more popular among um among people over 50 55 maybe in uh, terms of trying to help them restore their youth in terms of skin or you know, muscle tone or things. <laughs> Maybe you should talk about what HGH is just in case people Oh, are. HGH is a human growth hormone, and uh, we all produce it. Uh, we produce it when we're young. Uh, it's what helps us develop our height and our and our musculature. And um, But it... It peters off, um, I'm going to want to say maybe in your 20s as well, that your HGH production and testosterone production begin to taper off a little. Uh, one of the few things that have that has been proven to um, increase HGH production and testosterone production is actually lifting weights and lifting mm -hmm. heavy weights. 
it will elicit a hormonal response in uh, your body to the stress that's placed on the muscle. Your For body men and women? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And that's a natural way of uh, building, uh, building muscle and increasing HGH. But the shortcut is to get HGH boosters or testosterone replacement therapy, which is basically a shot or a patch. Um, I'm not going to speak about TRT or testosterone replacement therapy. I don't, I'm not that familiar with it, but HGH, um, HGH uh, supplementation, um, they you know, believe it may accelerate cancers in the body because HGH isn't selective and what it causes to grow, basically. Wow. You know, uh, you can look at someone like Barry Bonds. Uh, he, I believe, it has admitted to being on HGH and another uh, supplement called the, the Clear. But he started taking it, I think, when his vision started failing him. And he couldn't see a fastball or he couldn't see the seams of a baseball coming out of the pitcher's hand. And he was always just a contact hitter. And then once his vision went, he lost his ability to really see the ball. So he couldn't hit as well. So he started taking supplementation and doing HGH, and it restored his vision because it, it's why it's called the fountain of youth, and he could all of a sudden see again. Hmm. But the byproduct of that was that he went from this skinny or thin percentage hitter to a home run hitter. And if you look at Barry Bonds when he played for the Pirates and Barry Bonds by the time he got to the Giants, you know the size of his head grew. Wow. So HGH is not wow. selective in what grows. I mean, you give HGH supplement, supplementation to children who are not going to grow. So they'll supplement them with HGH to make their bones grow. Wow. So you can imagine that if you're 50 right. and you supplement it and you have any sort of pre-cancer or whatever. Pre-cancer or cancer cells already that they're that they're going to you know respond to the HGH. Wow. Yeah, I think okay. I think the Mayo Clinic may have published something about that. So wow. yeah. So are you a believer in protein supplements and things like that? Are there supplements that you do recommend? Yeah. If you're training hard, you actually need to intake more protein than you can probably eat during the day without okay. ingesting a lot of saturated fats or high amounts of animal cholesterol. Okay. So you know, there's a general guideline that if you're training really hard, maybe one gram of protein for every pound of body weight. But you, wow. could, talk, you, you could talk to okay. four different people and get four different answers. Sure. You know, right. and once again, it depends on how, on how hard you're training because you need protein to repair the damage done to the muscle tissue that comes from training. You know, it's, you know, you're tearing muscle fiber and then they're reforming to grow bigger and stronger in response to being torn and the stress placed on the body. So It sounds like you might have opinions about the CrossFit craze because because um, I do. No. <laughs> but, it, I mean, the the, um, the combination of heavy weight with um, time and, you know, being under pressure for time and maybe an exhaustion and fatigue seems like just a recipe for disaster. But, but there's yeah. such a craze and people are so addicted to it. You know what? First thing I want to say about CrossFit is that the people who do CrossFit, the athletes in uh, CrossFit, fit, I think are, I think they're amazing. I think they're amazingly strong. Uh, they're amazingly, um, they have amazing endurance. Um, whether CrossFit's good for people who are 
I don't know, not 25 years old or 50, I think that's problematic because I think it's a lot of stress on your joints. Uh, It's a lot of highly explosive movements that you should probably have learned when you were much younger with a in a one-on-one role. Mm-hmm. It's hard to learn how to do a clean and jerk unless you're under supervision from someone one-on-one, unless you're just a really natural athlete who can generate power and knows how to move their kinetic chain properly. And not many people do. Right. So you might be able to do it, but after a while your body's going to break down, shoulders and knees. And if you go on the CrossFit websites, they talk about something called Captain Rabdo, which is basically working out to the point that your muscles die of, uh, I forget what it's called, but basically it's a muscle death because they're overexhausted. It's, Good Lord. Yeah, they refer to us it. as uh, Captain Rabdo, <laughs> wow. I think. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> but as far as those guys are, they're the people who do it, incredibly strong, incredibly athletic. Uh, my hat's off to them, but in terms of safety in the long run, I don't think the return on investment is really worth it. Right, right, so, right. And, you know, I think training should be about your return on investment. You, know, you want to do it safely. You want to maximize the time you put into it. But above all, you want to be able to have a good quality of life from your training. It right. shouldn't be a detriment later in life. Right, so. right. God, we're down to the last three minutes, and uh, there, were, there were so many other topics we were going to talk about, but we'll have to have you back on. Um, but are there things that we should kind of – kind of last talking points that we should have mentioned that maybe we did not that takeaways for for people at yes various levels there are actually Good. um and i'll just go over some of the questions that or the things people discuss with me a lot um this is particularly for females who want to train you will not get too big <laughs> i i that I is one of that is a concern. Eighty percent right? of the women who I train first thing they tell me is, "Well, I don't get really big. I don't want big muscles." And I try to explain to them, it's almost impossible for you to get incredibly large. You'd have to eat a tremendous amount of food. You'd have to apply so much discipline to it that what you're saying is such a disservice to everyone who actually wants to get big. You know, that yeah. we spend like three hours a day at the gym getting big. You know, but um, so. You cannot get too big. So you'll get toned, but you won't get bulky, right? You know what? You'll get bulky if you gain weight. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, if you if you strengthen up your muscles, they will tone up. It's just because a strong muscle is a bigger muscle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you right. know? Right. So that's the reality of it. But will you get big? No, you will not get big unless you're training to get big and it's you have to lift Tremendous amounts of weight to get big, like really heavy. Okay. So uh, that's one of the myths. Um, you know, uh, the other myth maybe it has to do with your abs. You know, everyone seems to fixate on abs. And realistically, if we stripped away all your body fat, everyone has an eight-pack. We all have the underlying musculature. It's covered with fat. But you actually have two different ab muscles. One is the rectus abdominis, and it goes from your pubic bone basically up to your up to your belly button. And that's a, no, up to your sternum. Okay. Basically, that's the one everyone wants to work on because it's the six-pack, the lines that go across your body. But then you have the deeper muscle, the transversus abdominis. That's the ab, it's actually the girdle. It's the internal girdle. And if you right now, if, if you're sitting there, if you suck your belly button into your spine as hard as you can, you'll feel your lower back tighten. That's probably the more important abdominal muscle. 
that you want to focus on. It keeps your it keeps your lower back safe when you're lifting things off the ground. Uh, keeps your stomach flat, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can see people. I, I've seen people who have a six-pack who still have a distended belly. It's because they have a very weak TBA. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think gymnasts almost always have a very strong TBA. So you do that by the um, uh, side crunches, like side, it, like not sit-ups. Like what exercise would you do? For the TBA? Yeah. Just stand against a wall, flatten your lower back against it, and suck your belly button. Yeah. You can do it right now. Okay. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I've got my like TV. Kegels. Got my TV <laughs> We're all doing activated, it right now. you know? <laughs> well, not like Kegels. <laughs> I mean, you can do it right now. Nobody yeah, knows. but you could do it right now. You're sitting at your desk, just suck your belly button into your uh, stomach as flat as you can, and you'll feel your lower back tighten up. Okay. And that's your TVA. It's your internal girdle. It runs around your waist. It doesn't run up and down So you can, you can strengthen that just sitting mm-hmm. or laying in bed. Sure. Okay. You can do it any time, nice. actually. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> I, that answers a question that my husband had the other day because he was like, "What if I just sit here and tense myself up really hard? And <laughs> with, is that doing anything?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm sure it's doing something." I don't know. You know what? If if uh, what you're trying to do is contract your rectus abdominis, the when it goes north to south, you wind up with bad pal. You wind up with bad posture because oh, okay. you're kind of sinking down all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So don't you, do that. You okay. will eventually wind up with bad posture. Okay. All right. <laughs> so don't I'll do tell that. I'll to go home and not do that. Okay. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. So. Oh, this was awesome. Anyway, last minute ones. Are you um, good? I am good. You're I good. All about, right. That's about it. This yeah. is the most I learned in an hour and like many many moons. This was. Was super informative, and I go in there all the time, and I still learned a t- a just a ton of new stuff. So this was great. This was great, Bobby. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you know what? There is one more. Okay, actually, and I get this question a lot when it, in the martial arts and in the gym, and it's the difference between strength and power. Oh yeah, yeah. And basically, for uh, how I interpret it, is that power is actually strength made sudden. Okay, it's the application of strength efficiently and explosively. Um, you know, you can be. You can be strong and not be powerful. I've actually met a lot of people like that training in martial arts, but I've never met anyone who is powerful who isn't strong as well. So at some point, your training has to incorporate some uh, sort of moves that incorporate power okay. in uh, to them. Explosive movements. Of Explosive strength. movements. And, you know, the thing about power training is that lifting extremely heavy weights is a form of power training mm-hmm. because you can't accelerate a heavy weight without lifting as hard as you can from from you know the start point. Right. It takes a lot of force to move a heavy weight. Like From pushing, zero, yeah. Yeah, like pushing right. a car. <laughs> right, right. You, know, you can't gradually move it. you got to move it and get it moving. So that's right. explosive strength, and that's power. So, okay. you know, strong is okay, but you want to be powerful. That's a, that's a nice quote. <laughs> that's a, That was the title of our talk. Strong <laughs> is okay, but you want to be powerful. In so many ways. That. In so many, in all the ways. In all the ways. Mentally, physically, psychologically, and spiritually powerful. I love that. Yes. All right. That's where we'll end it. I love it. That is all the time we have for today. Kimberly will be back here with you next Thursday for more. And uh, stay tuned for Entrepreneur Nation coming up next on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great, great day.